Father, thank you for this morning. I, I thank you for the precious people that are that are listening, Lord, and those that will listen at a later date. And Lord, I just pray that you'd encourage them. You will strengthen them. You'll remind them, Lord, how much you love them. And God, that you will keep them until that day, that their very lives are in your hands, and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. And I wanted to share a few scriptures because this is a, a time that's difficult for us. We've never been in this place. And in fact, one of my favorite passages is Joshua chapter 3 where they're camped by the River Jordan. They're waiting again for the Ark of the Covenant move. And the, the Jordan is getting higher and higher. And he says, when you see the Ark of the Covenant move, then follow. But keep a distance between it and you because you're going to a place you've never been. So we have to adapt. We have to keep our eyes upon the author and finisher of faith. We need to focus upon what the Scripture says. So God, it kind of led me to these Scriptures, and I want to read and just comment a little bit and, and remind you what God has said to you, how much He loves you, how much He cares for you. In fact, the first one I'd like to go to is Romans 8. It's, again, verse 37 through 39. It says, but all these things we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. You're in Christ Jesus if you've been born again. And nothing can separate you from that love of God. In fact, in Psalm 121, notice what it says. It says, And I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. He who keeps you will not slumber. And going down to verse 5, it says, And the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade upon your right hand. The sun will not smite you by the day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard you going out and coming in from the time forth to forever. Now, we know this passage is really applies to Israel. But you know what it is? It's the very heart of God. God will keep you. Those that call upon his name. In fact, in Isaiah 46 um, it's verse 4 and 5. I'm going to give you a loose translation because I think it really speaks the heart of God. It says, I am your Lord God. I will take care of you until you are old and your hair is gray. I made you and I will care for you. I will give you help and I will rescue you. To whom will you compare me, says the Lord? Is there anyone else like me? Do you hear the heart of God? God loves you even though we're going through this time. God's still on the throne. In fact, I want to share one last scripture before we really uh, go into our text today. It's from Psalm 40, verse 1. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. I want to stop there for a second. What that text is, is describing is one who is maybe in a panic, maybe feels isolated, separated, overwhelmed, depressed. That's how it relates to us. But notice what it says again, that he inclined again to me and heard my cry. The idea is that God takes his ear, which he doesn't have an ear, and he inclines it down to your mouth to hear those words that you can't even get out because there's so much anxiety in you. God understands what you're going through. God understands before you're even there, and he is there for you. Well, the psalm goes on this way, and he brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon the rock, making my footsteps firm, and he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to God. And many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord. As we're going through this difficult time, we here at Calvary Chapel are praying for you on the big island. 
We know that the only thing we can do is point you to Jesus. Jesus is that comforter. And it was this morning that when I was sitting there, God was reminding me of the passage that we're to comfort others with the comfort we received. As I shared that one scripture with you in Psalm 41, there was a time in my life where I was paralyzed and says, oh, not physically, emotionally what I was going through. And God met me right where I'm at. And he'll meet you where you're at if you simply call out to him. Well, again, let's open our Bibles now to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 16, excuse me, 10 through 16. And I've titled this message, really, Men Who Must Be Silenced. Now that's Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. And let's read it together as a family. It begins in verse 10, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. When testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in their faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths, commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable, disobedient, worthless for any good deed. You remember when we came to Titus? Titus was, again, one of those, uh, again, epistles that's connected First Timothy, Second Timothy, and then Titus. It was written, what it appeared to be is written to pastors. But we've seen that it applies, it's applicable to every one of our lives. And the thing that we saw last week when we were looking at those, the leaders of the church, what is most important is character. Being a man of in, in dignity, honesty, trustworthy. That is the most important thing. Humbly coming before the people. Not lording over the people, but ministering to the people. The leaders we saw, and I mentioned briefly last week, are, are servants. It's not about him, it's about the people. And if we miss the idea that it's about people, we've missed the mark. Because when we minister to people, we're ministering to Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now Titus, we saw, was left here on this island. He was left on the island of Crete. And, and again, the, his responsibilities and the overseeing of the churches in Crete to, to prepare, again, those leaders, to, to identify who those leaders, to counteract the false teaching that was going on there, the immoral le leaders that were leading these flocks. It almost would seem overwhelming to some people. But when God guides a person, he provides the wisdom, he provides the knowledge, he provides the abilities. He prepares you and me for every step. And Titus is prepared here. He's put in the place. It's, it's difficult. It's urgent. He needs to be here. Well, again, let's, let's look here at the description of these men that must be silenced. Well, first of all, it's their proliferation, meaning their, their rapid, again, increase. Look in verse 10. It says, for there are many. The fact is, there are many false teachers in the churches of Crete. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're among the people. Titus' responsibility to, to pose them is even more urgent. It's not one church, but several churches. 
Again, we saw again that, that on Crete, there, there could have been at least a hundred cities. We don't know how many churches, but we know there were various churches. What appears to be one man to do all this work? But Titus was going to recognize those who God has called, appoint those who God has called, and they would work together as a family. Look with me again in Titus 1.5. It says, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you had set in order what remains, appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Now, again, we don't know exactly when this church is formed. There's two different ideas. Some believe it was after the day of Pentecost because we know some of the people from Crete were there on the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church. Some believe it was after Paul was after Paul was arrested. And at that point that he came back at a missionary. He came back and he evangelized this place. He come to know the people and, and sharing with them, and he recognized this hardness of their hearts. Now, it was not surprising to Paul what would happen to the church because God had already spoken through him back in Acts 20, verse 29 and 30. Notice what it says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flocks, and from among your own Cells will rise speaking perverse things and draw away disciples after themselves. And this is even before Paul had been martyred. It was already happening. In fact, we see this today in the body of Christ. There are many who profess to be believers, but their lives do not reflect that they're believers. They have a, a different gospel, as Galatians would talk about, which is really not a gospel at all. It's a gospel oftentimes of works but it does not save anyone. Again, in Romans 16, verse 17, 18, notice what it says. Now, I urge you, brethren, keep your eyes on those who cause divisions and hindrances, contrary to the teaching which you've learned. Turn away from them, for such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. By their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of those who are unsuspecting. This is what was in the church, and it's in the church today, and we see the church today increasing this problem because the church now, we see it in apostasy. We see apostasy, that falling away from the truth. Apostasy means that people once knew the truth. They knew what the truth was. They believed but it never actually actuated itself as faith. They never come to that saving knowledge. They, they had different motives and different agendas, we see. In fact, let's look at their behavior also in verse 10. Notice they were rebellious men. They were empty talkers, deceivers. And notice it says, especially those of the circumcision. First, let's look at that word rebellious. You know, our kids have rebelled. We rebelled against our parents. I'll do it my way. Our parents tell you to do something and, and, and you didn't do it. And we're in a culture this way that's very rebellious to our leaders, to our government, to husbands and wives. The families are being divided. We see it, it's very common. You see, this is what Titus' job was to come. It was especially difficult because the people were rebellious. And you know, sometimes... Those are the places that God can do the greatest work. Now follow that thought as we go through because God doesn't tell them, well, just avoid them. He says, go to them. I want to see them come to the Lord. That's the very heart of God. Well, in the midst of all this, uh, Titus is to identify. Identify what? Those who he's to point. But what I want to call your attention to is we've talked about before, an elder is one who is called by God. To identify means we need to recognize that a person's called. We see that calling in their life. We see that commitment, that devotion to God. We see that they have that servant's heart. We see that they're humble, and they're not wanting to call attention to themselves. They just love the Lord. They love the people. They want to protect them. They want to honor God. Well, these men were to, to be the godly leaders. Every church needs these godly leaders, godly men. Men that will, will go 
to a brother who is in sin and, and sit down with him and talk with him and help him understand. An elder who can sit down with a couple that's having division between them and open the word of God with them. Men who are men of the word, men of integrity. Well, these godly leaders, notice they were elders, as the scripture said. And what Titus had to do is to raise these men up who were opposing the truth. They were in rebellion to God, and these men had to be steadfast fast in the faith, bringing the word of God, no matter how difficult it may seem. They needed to go forth. They needed to stand firm and not compromise their faith. Men, again, who are not worried whether they're accepted by man or not. What's important, there's only one person in this world you and I need to please, Jesus Christ. He's the one that we live for. He's the one that will bring friends and family into our life. Family that we never knew. Family that's in the body of Christ. Well, again, first, uh, the apostasy began in this garden, the Garden of Eden, that is. It was our first parents that, in that sense, were eating of the forbidden fruit. Now, Paul has taught this principle again, this rebellion of man and, and a lot of people don't like to admit that, that they still sin today. I've heard a lot of people say, well, I, I just don't sin. Every one of us sin. Every one of us are bent towards sin. If you've been born again, you have a new nature, but you still have this battle going on in your heart. I do. Well, Paul, again, speaks about this rebellious nature. And, and you can see a lot of it in Romans chapter 8, but not just in Romans chapter 8. In 1 Corinthians, you'll find it in chapter 3 and chapter 5. And you'll see this rebellious man. But I think the classic verses, and we won't go there today, but it's really in Galatians chapter 5 where it talks about the deeds of the flesh. It's good to read that from time to time and, and ask the Lord, is, is this true in my life? Am I still struggling in a certain area? We may do good for a while, and, and then something happens. Someone pushes a, a trigger, a button. We let it happen in our life, and, and all of a sudden we spew out things that we would never spew in another situation. But let me encourage you. When you're in that place, and I pray you're not, but if you are, you can confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Now, for that person, again, that says, well, I, I don't sin. I, I've got a good heart. Jesus lives in my heart. I like what Jeremiah uh, 17 says, the heart's more deceitful than man, all else. And it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You might ask yourself, have you ever deceived yourself? Have you ever bought into a lie? And I think every one of us have bought into that. Oh, this is of God. And we get down that path. No, that's not of God. I was led by my own emotions, my own feelings, maybe, maybe even my pride in wanting to do something, say something, go to this place. I need to recognize the place I'm at, that I need him every hour. There's no better place to be if you can recognize that is helpless and dependent upon God. Because that will keep you focused upon Him. That author, that finisher of your faith, He will sustain you. He will keep you. Well, again, the second one it calls there, they're empty talkers. Notice in the text there, well, they were vain talkers or empty talkers saying and teaching things really amounted to, to nothing. Worthless. Have you ever heard a message where they're talking about everything about the world but nothing about Jesus? Nothing to encourage you? Nothing to, to convict you? Nothing to, to, again, remind you who God is, that nature and character of God? We, we've all heard that. Empty. It's useless. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be spiritually rich. God wants you to know that He, he loves you and he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. That's the message of the Bible. That's the very heart of God. Again, they're teaching. It helped no one. There, there was nothing permanent to hang on to. Nothing to encourage him the next day. Nothing lasts eternally. 
The only things that you do for Christ are the only things that last for eternity. And if they weren't there, it couldn't bring about forgiveness in a person's life or even eternal life for a person. The third thing we see, they were deceivers. Uh, Although the word had no real meaning, but maybe the basic thing, the way to say, they were troublemakers. They didn't achieve the the purpose of their words. They deceived you, but but nothing was accomplished. There was nothing of of fruit again, and they're, they're so close. It was no useful purpose. They used words that deceived, again, the Christians, that is, the believers that were in Crete. We see today, even in the church, there are those that disrupt the church with their words. I have a word for the church. Not to say that God doesn't speak, but when people do it, you see that they're calling attention to themselves, not really to God. And we know in our hearts what is of God and what's not of God. It's possible even to destroy a person's reputation with just words. Gossip. Lies. A few weeks ago, we talked about the apostasy that was in Europe. I showed you pictures of churches that have been converted to skate parks and all types of things. And if you needed a church building in, in, in Europe, they're easy to find. They're plentiful. That's what's coming to this country. This is kind of the environment that, again, Titus was coming to, the minister. They didn't want the truth so many, but there was always a remnant, and God always has that remnant. Well, again, when it's talking about, again, these deceivers, uh, Vines describes this word in this way. It's a mind deceiver. It, it manipulates a person. That's what a deceiver does. He tries to twist the truth to get people to do it. But who was doing it? We saw it was the circumcision party. Those were believers, professing believers, but still hanging on to their Judaism. Please understand that, that Paul's made it very clear that, that we have to let go of those things and hold on firmly to Christ. There are people today that that want to be Jews and they want to go back to the law. And we'll talk about this a little more in just a moment. But the only thing you need to hold on to is Jesus Christ and the very words of Jesus Christ because they will strengthen you, they will encourage you, they will move you along. Well, this circumcision party, they oppose simply the gospel message because they were adding works to the grace. And... So they were the ones behind this. They were saying that Christ's sacrifice was not enough alone. You you need to keep the Sabbath. You need to eat certain foods. You need to do certain things. You need one thing. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust and rest and put all your weight upon him. And listen to him and follow what he says. Follow what Paul says. Follow what John says in the word of God. Because otherwise, these become the words and traditions of men. Now, because so many of the early Christians were Jews in the churches in the New Testament, they were especially plagued with these again, those of the circumcision. And they were Jews within the church. And it's interesting how they moved among the church. Again, they wanted the people to to keep the Torah, to keep the laws of Moses, including the dietary laws. Well, notice the fact we also see it in verse 10. Did you notice that the deceivers there, they were heretical teachers. They were not teaching things during the, the worship service. They were, wherever there was a worship service, they weren't teaching them, but they were going from home to home. In fact, in 2 Timothy, describes this same thing. 2 Timothy 3.6, For among them are those who enter households, captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led by various impulses. See, the problem wasn't just common to Crete. It was common the first 30 years, and even after that of the church, because primarily the first 30 years of the church were Jewish people, Jewish believers. They recognized the Jesus and the Messiah, but that wasn't enough. They wanted to add to it. Again, in verse 11, it says these deceivers 
must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, dividing families, putting them back under the law. Notice what 2 Peter 3.16 says. As also in his letters, speaking in them these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which are untaught, unstable, distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. People come to the scripture, they don't understand, so they read in things that aren't there. They, they twist it. Yes, there's some things that are difficult, but it's not what we don't understand, it's what we do understand. Do we obey what we understand? That's trust in the Lord Jesus. And lean not on your own understanding. Again, the word meant silence. To be silenced meant to really muzzle them as you would muzzle a dog. The words were strong. It was important. Because, again, they were spreading things that were not true. Things that were leading people away from the truth. Again, notice their motive. It's in verse 11 there. They were looking for money. They were hirelings in a sense. They weren't doing it because they loved God. They weren't doing it because they cared about the people. They wanted to see the people grow and mature and become everything that God would have them be. No. It was all about them. Authority is in the Word. Oh, yes, God has made apostles in, in, in that time, and he's, he's has pastors, but what they do is bring the Word of God to you. It's the Word of God that you need to hear. It's the word of God that you need to obey. Never man's traditions. Notice again in 1 Timothy 6, 5, at a constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose godliness is a means of gain. They're likened to, the, to a depraved mind, a mind that doesn't work. Not only that, they're, they're deprived of the truth. They don't know the truth. They don't want to know the truth. Sometimes people come to the Bible and they interpret the Bible and they see what they want to see. They cling to what they want to see. But see, if they know the truth, if they understand the author's intent, why is this in the Bible? Why did God say this? They know that truth and the truth would set them free. Apparently, they chose to be religious leaders as a profession. To do as minimal work as you can, to collect as much money as you can. There are those today. And I'm shocked at sometimes I've, I've heard of these million, billion dollar houses. If God's put you in Palm Springs, California, that's, it's a lot of money. He needs to make a little more money to live in that place. Because it's not about much money. It's about living and serving Jesus Christ. Well, there are many hirelings, many shepherds, professing Christian ministers. But the question is, do they love the truth? If a pastor doesn't preach the Word of God, he is not called by God. Because he has one message, that's God's message, the very Word of God. And we see the church drifted away many, many years ago in many ways, selling indulgences and games of lottery and bazaars and all with the intent to fleece the flock, building churches that were magnificent in their look. But no care, no concern about the real people. Notice their character in verse 12. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And this testimony is true, Paul says. Paul's, Paul's confirming that. See, Paul was there at some point on that island. We don't know when he was there. We know he was there with Titus. But he recognized that this saying was true. One of their own prophets. Epimendes is, a, is the prophet, the philosopher at that time. In fact, these Cretans had some of the worst reputation in the world at that time. and It was common in whatever country you went. These people were looked down on. They, they knew their character. That doesn't mean that every person was that way. But it was a learned behavior from their parents and from their parents. It was a cultural thing. It was accepted. And sadly, it's not a good reputation, but a bad reputation. What I do love is 
Paul never said, well, leave them alone. These people are so bad. They're hopeless. All men know how bad they are. No, Paul never said that. They're bad men. You, you know it. Go and see what God might do. Go and just bring the truth. Get rid of, again, the chaff. Get rid of those false teachers. Establish good men. And when that happens, people become converted. No one is beyond the grace of God as long as they're still here on this earth. So we, too, likewise, reach out to those that may seem hopeless. Because we hear God's heart, as I mentioned, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That means every person in this world. So much He gave His only begotten Son. If God did that, shouldn't we give our own life to seeing others come into the kingdom? Each of us can say, if we've been born again, I was blind, but now I see. I look at my life, and I don't want to lay it all out before you. I'm just going to tell you it was bad, it was wicked, it was evil. But now I see my life has changed. It doesn't matter what a, a person did or even doing now. If they hear the gospel message and God opens their heart, they are a new creature in Christ and we're to look at them the way God looks at them. So Titus is to be here. He's to reach out. He's to rebuke those that need to be rebuked. And this is important. We don't walk away frustrated they'll never come to Christ. No. Even when these people were selfish, interested in money alone, their actions showed they, they didn't really care about people. It, it doesn't matter. They need to be rebuked. And there's a purpose we're going to see in, in a moment. This was Titus' ministry. That's a tough ministry. But this is in every city. It's in every church you have people that come. They have another agenda. Again, when Paul said this is a true testimony, this is from his own personal observations. He, he saw it. It's true. It was known among them, but it was known with the rest of the world. He had experienced it himself. Notice again the reaction to the, the men who had been, must be silenced. See, it wasn't enough just to silence them. No. Please understand, it's not enough just to stop them, to put them out. Notice what it says again in, in 13 and 14, for this cause, reprove them severely that they may be sound in their faith. Not paying attention to these Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. But it's for this cause. That this is the reason you rebuke them. It's like a surgeon cutting out the, the cancerous flesh to save that person. And that's what we have to see is that, that sometimes they just need something cut out of their life. Maybe it's a misunderstanding. Maybe there's pain or hurt and something that's hard in their heart. And we need to pray sometimes. God, I just don't know what to say. I don't know how to reach them. I know the gospel. I'll share it. But sometimes only God can open up. Sometimes it's prayer and fasting, the Scripture says. But we need to pray and seek God. But what we see is the, the heart of God. God wants to remove those things. God wants to restore them, bring them back to Him. But the bottom line is they, they must be silenced. And there's times that these conflicts, they really can't be resolved. Sometimes you just have to say, there's the door. Because sometimes some people, it's true, they will not yield. They will not work together. They will not listen. The source of error must be removed. The cancer must be taken out. And this is one of those times. You've got to do everything you can restore, give every option for them to see the truth, to understand, to be born again. But if they reject and refuse and hard their hearts, then they must be separated. Look at verse 13. The command there is to reprove them. Reprove severely. Reprove means convict, convince. Rebuke, reproof. The idea is to sometimes to bring shame to a person. 
bringing about godly sorrow that leads to repentance. That's always God's heart. Now, certainly we're not going to rebuke everyone strong. There are some people you just go to and you can just talk to them. The, the very heart of God. You know they love God. They know they want to honor them. And you come to them very tenderly and graciously and lovingly. And, and that's the way the scripture calls it. But there's a time that they really need to be harshly, severely rebuked. In fact, John the Baptist rebuked Herod, if you remember, the Tetrarch of Judea, for improperly taking, again, his sister-in-law as a wife. Harshly, strongly. But oftentimes these are in rare cases. And it's important that we know, and, and again, that word severely means sharpness and severity. All for the purpose of bringing about a godly sorrow that brings them to repentance. So again, you reprove them severely that they may be sound in their faith. Restoration. See, here's a problem for a lot of people because they're angry. Maybe you know somebody that's angry about something that was said 20 years ago. We need to forgive. We need to remove those obstacles preventing us from moving on. We need to love them as Christ loved the church. And this is so important because Christ died for us while we're in our worst. And if we love them, we'll go to them lovingly, tenderly. In fact, 2 Timothy says this, chapter 2, verse 25, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. See, that's the heart of God. Sadly, though, within the body of Christ, from time to time you see people that are just jump out and, and they go for the juggler vein. They're going to take them down. But first we go in gentleness and kindness and love. We pray that they'd have open hearts and that they will respond to the truth that will set them free, that they would come to their senses, recognizing they're blinded by the God of this world. And that's how the world thinks. The, the world's doing what's natural. They're sinning. Why should we even be mad at them? Because that was you. That was me before we came to Christ. Well, look with me again in verse 14. It says, not paying attention to Jewish myths, commandments of men who turn away from the truth. Notice again, it says, not paying attention to these Jewish myths. The Jews at the, at the time of Christ were mystics, mysticism. They had mixed a lot of things in it. In fact, they're in bondage to these things. If God is for me or for you, who could be against you? See, that, that's our trust. That's our rest. But they created a series of myths. And what we do is we line things up to the Bible. What does the Bible say? And we know what God's Word says. Well, notice there were commandments of men who turn away from the truth. The, these commandments... Take them away from trusting and resting in, in Jesus Christ. Let me read Matthew 23, verse 3. Therefore all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. Now for you and me, what we need to do is come as Second Timothy says, be diligent to present yourself, approve to God a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but accurately handling this word of truth. We need to be a Berean and examine, is this really what the Bible's saying? Is this really the heart of God? Does this line up with the nature and character of God? Well, again, look with me in verse 15. We, we see their inner lives to pure all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their consciences are defiled. There, there's a confusion there. In fact, this is one of the most misinterpreted verses, misquoted verses so often. See, these teachers were obsessed with a, a distinction between the, the pure and the unpure. 
That is a, a food and in, in, in holidays and all kinds of things. See, in the Old Testament, God gave them ceremonial laws. And this is important to understand. They would point to Jesus Christ. They had to teach that there were unclean things and clean things. This heart is washed by the water of the Word. This heart, apart from the washing of the water of the Word, is unclean. All these things become pictures and shadows and things to, to bring us to Christ. Notice with me Colossians 2.16 and 17. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food, drink, in respect of festival, new moon, or Sabbath day. Things which are mere shadows of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. See, the Christians, the early Christians, that is, those that truly believed and trusted and rested in Christ Jesus were not hanging on to these days. They weren't hanging on to these dietary things. They were trusting in Christ and Christ alone. Don't let someone judge you. These things, they're only shadows. The substance is Christ. See, they're hanging on to shadows, pictures of things that would point to Christ, and Christ was among them. Christ was in them. They're hanging on to something foolish. Sadly, today, there are many within the body of Christ that want to be Jews. And I'm telling you, the most wonderful thing is to be content who you are in Christ Jesus. It's not about what you eat. It's not about keeping a certain day. Many have tried to encourage me to, uh, to keep the Sabbath day. Well, you, you have Jewish blood on your father's side. That's true, but I do keep the Sabbath. Well, how, how do you keep the Sabbath? Christ Jesus is my Sabbath rest. It's not in a day. It's in a life. And Jesus Christ is living and I walk with them, I talk with them, I follow him. When I sin, I confess my sin. I have perfect peace that when I die, that I will go to be with him. What they have done is added works to their salvation. Well, you're not really saved unless you do these things. Now, it's not wrong to keep these things. They're wonderful. They give us pictures that we can learn from and understand the heart of God. But the real substance is Christ. Hold on to Him. Hold on to His words. Let His words dwell deeply in your heart. So again, Mark 7, 20 and 23 says this, and He was saying, that which proceeds out of man, that is what defiles man. For from within... Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulterers, deeds of coveting and wickedness. <laughs> wickedness and, and well-deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness, all these evil things that proceed from within, from out of our heart. It's a heart that's deceitful, wicked above all things. Who could know it? But any form of legalism and ceremonial obligations, they will not make you clean. It's this heart that needs to be washed with the water of the Word. It's this mind that needs to be renewed in Christ. In fact, it's in Galatians 4, 1 through 11 and 5, 1. And I know I'm sharing a, a few more scriptures this week, but it's important to establish what the scripture is saying. Notice again in Galatians 4, it says, In the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son. Notice, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And however time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those things of nature or no gods. But now you've come to know God and rather be known by God. How is it that you turn back again to weak, worthless, elementary, which is you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days, months, seasons, and years and I fear for you that perhaps 
I've labored in vain. See, he was teaching the word of God. He was showing the, these things aren't important. These were shadows. Why are you going backwards? And there are many that are claiming these things. But we've been set free from these things. In fact, Galatians 5.1 says this. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject yourself again to the yoke of slavery. You're set free from these ceremonial laws. You're set free in Christ. Those who continually engage in sin will become, it's true, morally bankrupt. Purity is, is an internal manner the mind and, and the conscience and, and not the external. Nothing that you can add, nothing you can do can make you clean. It lacks bringing about any change in the lives. Look at verse 16. It's their outer lives. They profess to know God, but their deeds, they deny Him. They're detestable, disobedient, worthless for any good deed. Notice there, the profession, they say they know God. It's with their mouth. They profess that, that they're believers. They trust in God. And maybe you've known people profess to be believers and, and you hear them cussing and carrying on and, and going places they should never go and talking about movies they should never watch. Things that Jesus Christ has died for. They profess. It's easy to profess. They talk a good story, a wonderful testimony, convince many that they're believers. But God knows the heart. God knows the, the falseness of their words. In fact, in reality, they're deceiving themselves. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever deceived yourself? This is a, a time that we need to ask ourselves. Do I really believe and trust in Jesus Christ? Lord, will you show me if there's any wicked way in my heart that I might confess and repent? See, they profess to know God, but their deeds deny Him. What does the world see in your life? What kind of action? Do they see that Christ-likeness? Do they see you becoming more and more like Christ? Do they feel uncomfortable with some of the conversations they might say when you're there? Does it have an effect upon them? See, if that's happening, that, that's kind of giving an indication that your life is changing. Again, some of these false teachers in the church, they were not believers at all. They really didn't trust in the faith. It's what apostates, they believe, as I mentioned earlier. Demons believe. But it had not become faith. That belief had not turned into the saving faith of trusting in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, His work of the cross, and simply coming to Him just as you are. And that's what's important to understand. Again, their actions betrayed their words. Look at verse 16. They were detestable, disobedient, worthless, pretty good deed. Really, they're unfit. There was nothing in their life that could please God. See, it's without faith, it's impossible to please Him, and he who comes to Him must believe He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Without faith. Faith that rests and trusts in Christ alone. And when you come to Him, you must believe that He's going to keep you, sustain you, that He will set you up on the rock. He will keep you until that day that He takes you home. Matthew 23, verses 25 and 26. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are clean on the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgences. You, blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish so that the outside may also be clean. And, and they knew that he was talking about them, their own lives. And then in Matthew seven fifteen and 16, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous, 
wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Notice again that they're these false prophets. They, they, they look like everyone else. Oh, they look like really good and nice people, but in the end, you recognize they're not of the Lord. Matthew 7, verses 21 and 23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? In your name cast out many demons. In your name perform many miracles. And I then will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In our message today, the thing that we see, it was a, it was a difficult work. But it was a work that, again, that God had called Titus to help establish these leaders to root out this false teaching, these false prophets, to build a foundation of, of men that would nurture and watch over the flock as that church grew. But at the same time, we recognize that these false teachers were not true believers. And that's always a question we need to do I really trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have I been born again? Oh, I don't believe you have to go up to an altar every week. But I do believe that God would have us examine our lives. The way we live our lives. Are we living it for Christ and Christ alone? Or are we living it for ourselves? Many within the body of Christ are deceiving themselves. Sadly, I pray that's never anyone that I know. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your, your precious word that speaks to our heart, that guides us and directs us in all truth. Lord, we look to you and you alone, our Lord and Savior. And so today, Lord, we glorify you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.